Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. In this episode, you will meet Amber Jones, Vice President of Sales at Tangram Interiors. Amber shares how Tangram uses innovative designs to create amazing places for people to work, learn, and heal. So, Amber, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for agreeing to join us. Thanks for having me. So, let's talk about Tanagram Interiors. I want you to at least start by telling the audience, what is the company known for and what do you do? Yeah. So, Tangram is a commercial interiors organization. Basically, we create amazing spaces where people learn, work, and heal. So, all of the interiors from the flooring to the walls to the furniture I'm just really creating spaces where people can, you know, go to work or go to learn in classrooms or education, or like I said, heal in hospitals in those types of environments. That's great. What, how, how old's the company? When did it start? What yeah. was the inspiration for it? So Steelcase, we are a Steelcase dealership, which is a major mainline manufacturer. And so they've been around for a hundred years. And the Steelcase dealership that Tangram purchased, it was in uh, 2001 back in California. And so what brings us to Texas is that in 2000, 21, we acquired a dealership here in the Dallas Metroplex. And so that is what's brought me to Texas via Tangram Interiors. Okay. So you're a uh, transplant Californian, now Texan? I'm one of those. Yes. But, you know, I'm really enjoying this place. And I, you know, it's not something that I would have like raised my hand and volunteered for, but honestly, I I feel so at home here. And I, I just know that the business world that we found ourselves in over the last two years is exactly where our business is supposed to be. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about that process of the move. What has it been like from your perspective, you know, moving a basically a California business? I know it was by acquisition, but moving that California business to Texas. Yeah. What's that been like? Interesting. You know, it's really it's it, I want to say it was a challenge, but it wasn't. I think that the Metroplex is confusing in some ways in that it's large, but there's a lot of really close-knit relationships here. And so we were able to um, bring on some really great people that had some really existing, really good, strong-standing existing relationships in the market, which helped us to position ourselves in, in the right way, in the right place. But I definitely, part of the reason for it and part of what made it so helpful and, and necessary is that the majority of our customers were looking at moving to Texas. And so when you start thinking about how can we do business in both states with you, it made sense for us to be able to send them away from California and then receive them as they arrived in Texas. Yeah. So it was really, it was an obvious next step for us. And when the position, you know, when the dealership position opened itself up, it, it made sense for us to acquire them for sure. That makes sense. I can tell you, at least from the legal perspective, I've lost count of how many California companies we have represented and since say, you know, late 2000, early 2001, helping them set up shop in Texas. Well, it's interesting in that regard, you know, it's like, where do you home them from, right? Like, are you running your business as a California business that has an extension in Texas? Or do you have a Texas business that has an extension in California? 
or two separate independent companies. So yeah, some struggles as we like learn to adjust about, you know, where do we write the laws from as far as like, you know, labor laws, et cetera. So yeah, I can tell you most of our experience has been the uh, we are doing Texas-based entities, the Cali- basically converting the California entity into a Texas entity. There's a bajillion reasons why that makes the most sense. So yeah, it's definitely the direction that we're heading in. So you've got this company, you create amazing spaces for your clients. What about for your people? I mean, I guess your showroom has to showcase your talent. So how do you go about designing your showroom and, and fostering, I guess, that creativity in the workplace for your employees? Yeah. So it's very important that we have spaces that reflect what we do. So we work in our showrooms. So working showrooms are a little bit more interesting than just a regular like office place would be. Everything is pristine and there's lots of choice and control about how and where you work throughout the day. So maybe I'm coming in for a quiet day. And so I would locate on the floor plan on the digital map as to where it's most quiet for the day in the space. And then maybe that's where I want to work so that I have access to the resources. Whereas other days, maybe I came into the office to have more of a social day. So I'm going to look on the kind of noise map for the space and decide where it's loudest. And maybe that's where I'm going to go set up shop so that I can get that like extroverted, you know, full feel that I needed in coming into the office. So it's really exciting. I really, it's almost like working in a zoo some days because there's just tours happening so regularly that it's, but it's cool because it gives us the opportunity to really use and show the product that we sell. So you, you mentioned two things that I've never heard of before. That was a noise map and a, ah. I forget the other one, a digital map, I guess. So yeah. tell, tell me a little bit about that. I'm just intrigued. So is that something that I guess that you offer your clients where you can, and you use it there in the office to figure out What's going yeah, on? You're, you're dead on. So um, we have a technology arm of what we sell. So furniture, technology, walls. And we really feel like if you can plan a space that integrates the technology and the furniture together versus an afterthought, you're going to have a much better experience for your users. And so for us, we want we want anyone to come in all day and be able to work wherever they want. So part of that is that we are a ViewSonic, MoodSonic showroom. And that means that we have different zone maps throughout our space. So when you walk in, there's like literally a floor plan on a big digital screen and it shows you where it's loudest throughout the, the showroom and then where it's quietest. And then what the noise does and the little iPads is it allows for you to adjust the soundscapes that pump into that area of the showroom to adjust to how much noise is happening there. I personally am a very loud human being. So we joke that you know, color c- follows me throughout the showroom as I get louder and walk. But also that means that the white noise that's pumping into the space follows me so that you can see that I'm talking, but you can't make out what I'm saying while you're on a video call across the room. So we really feel as we get back, especially post COVID to how many video calls that we're all having in our workplace, no matter what we do for a living, there must be something in your workplace that allows for you to have that hybrid experience and not have it be choppy. There has to be a reason for you to leave your house. Right. And it has to be an office that works for you. And what the office that we like left pre COVID that we didn't do a lot of these video calls didn't have to have the same things that the office today have. And we really feel like a lot of that is the addition of technology because of the communication that happens on screen so much now. It's so true. I mean, I think anyone, I know I, I can speak for myself, but anyone that's been back in the office and we really came back to the office in May of 2020. Pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. Very smartly, very carefully. You know, most people have their own private office here. Different experience. But the, no, the number of doors that are shut throughout the day for the reasons you just said, to control the noise because we're on Zooms or team calls, 
can get frustrating because we are very open door policy, very great culture, but it's somewhat counterintuitive. So what you're talking about makes total sense to me. It's hard because it's like, why am I leaving my home office where I have everything set up and I don't have to drive so that I can go sit in another private office in a conference, you know, in a big building where I had to drive and park just to shut the door again? Like, what am I getting from one or the other? What's the benefit to leaving the house? And so really the challenge is what's the pull? So we say, you know, what's you have to return to something better than you left. It can't be the same office. Yeah, that's, that's great. So kind of on that topic. And just thinking about, you know, your company, the downturn, I mean, you're clearly in a business that requires personal interaction and connection. How did y'all manage through keeping the business going when your employees and probably your customers or potential customers did not want to be in person? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I would say that the vertical markets that we cover is one of the benefits of our organization because when things got bad, hospitals still had a huge need. Right. There was still healthcare requirements that were happening around COVID. Schools still needed to pivot and make changes. So there were still things that were happening in some of those other sections. But certainly furniture is something that people don't buy when they don't have to. Right. And certainly not when there's not people in the office. And so it was a weird time for sure. But I think that what happens in, in this industry, specifically with furniture, is it's very cyclical. You know, you can look back at like the 2007, 2008. You then, you know, you can look into like there was like this. 2016. I mean, there's like times and moments in time where things like took a little bit of a a dip, not as much purchasing was happening. I think those are moments in time where we can be strategic and really align ourselves with where do we see those next verticals growing. Um, Right now, bioscience is huge. That's where we need to be focusing as we move forward. You know, some of the more opportunities to track the industries versus, you know, just waking up and expecting the same type of business to be there every day, you know. Makes sense. So innovation's got to be a very important aspect for the well-being and growth of your company. What are some of the things that y'all do to instill or encourage innovative things to be fostered throughout the company and encourage your people to think and act innovatively? Yeah. So I guess two pieces. Obviously, it's very important that what we're selling is innovative. I think a lot of that is based out of absolute research, 100% research-based organizations in Steelcase. And so they spend a lot of time trying to figure out what people need and why. And so when it hits the market and we're selling it, we've got so much history and so much research to back why we're bringing another chair or another table or another thing to the market. Otherwise, it's just that, right? Another table and another chair and who needs those things. But I think internally within Tang. I trust. I, we really are a super authentic organization. I Anyone can walk up to my desk at any point in time. I don't work in a private office. None of us do. None of the executive leadership ever work in private offices. And then in all of our six offices, the only one that has a private office is the um, human resource team so that they can have the privacy of lockability. Past that, I mean, really, there's no one within the organization that can't have an, an idea that could be implemented today. I think that's kind of the greatness of any organization is when you have that open door policy because there's not a door. There never was one, right? It's like if you have an idea and it's something that is helpful to the progress of the organization by all means. And I think those are things that we reward throughout the year. I mean, we we have different focuses and different um, events, but we have a fact award. So we really want people to be focused, accountable. We want them to be strong culture advocates that show strong teamwork and strong trust. And those are things that we are pillars of our success on a regular daily basis. And when we talk about them and we look for those in employees, 
it is that we expect them to come up with ideas in their team meetings and we expect them to have the trust within themselves and the trust within us to bring those new ideas to us for implementation. So honestly, I think this whole industry and this whole world is about change and choice and honesty. Like have an idea. Let's chat. Yeah. Let's talk about it. So, okay. So you're touching on culture. One of my favorite topics. Mind uh, so let's, you know, a couple, I have, you know, at least a couple questions on that for you. you know, one is I always ask all guests kind of how would you define your culture? And I think for you, a corollary to that is how has it migrated east from California to Texas? Uh-huh. You know, have you maintained the culture that was built in the roots in California to the Texas office or has, has there been some adaption to this new office in, in a new state and a new city? Such a good question. Cultures is one of my favorite topics as well. So in California, one of my roles there was um, onboarding all of the new hires. And I think for me, that was an opportunity to instill in them the culture that I found at Tangram. And I really found it important that as they kind of graduated out of 101 training with me, that they moved into the next portion of their organ- of their role in the organization, really understanding the culture was the, ba- the basis of it all, the foundation of who we were as a company. And so I think for me, it was really hard to leave behind the culture that I feel like I was such a huge part of building in California. In fact, I remember standing in front of everyone here in Texas, holding this piece of paper as we were about to like tell them that we just acquired their company. And I was so nervous. And I think back now, and it's like so funny to think that I was nervous in front of those people, but I, because I didn't know what kind of culture I was walking into, and I think it matters so much. So sure. the longest way possible of answering that question is that I brought that culture with me and I spent the last two years trying to foster it here. And I would tell you that we absolutely are the same company in Texas that we are in California because of those kind of cross pollinations and making sure that we've got people flying back and forth from both locations and, you know, executive leadership, as well as like marketing and different salespeople. And I think that we all have a lot to learn from one another, that if we treat each other as like a bench for both cities, as opposed to Dallas Tangram and California Tangram, just Tangram, continue to have that culture be, you know, exemplified in all of our offices. You really, once you branch, I guess it could happen in one office for sure. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. But once you branch out to more than one office, you really can't have the us versus them or you have a culture. It's just not a healthy one. Right. I mean, (laughs) yeah. So it's actually, it's interesting. We just did a a company survey and we just got the results back and read them off to the whole organization verbatim for the way that they answered the questions with all of the comments and and, uh, feedback. And it was such a delight to be able to read the results back to the organization and have results be in like the high 80s for how they felt about our culture and the way that we run our company and how they feel comfortable talking to us. Those are astronomically high percentages. I mean, they are. It felt like we should all clap, you know, clap because genuinely that's not me or any of the other leadership. That is every single human being that wakes up and says they are part of Tangram Interiors every day. We all yeah. make Sure. Very impressive. I mean, because you're right. Be proud of. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about this a little bit before we, we started recording, but I'm going to ask you now so you can tell the story. Behind you are words that say, start right to finish right. Is that some type of pillar within the company or, you know, how is that? I'm, it's not there by accident, right? No, it's not. And I mean, I think with anything good goes planning, goes research. You know, I think we we have a really great 
network in the people that we work with. And with every opportunity that hits the street, there's a way to go about doing it. That's the strong way, the smart way that is starts with strategy. And so for us, it's like, you know, you can send off six emails while you're sitting in a, a meeting talking about a possible opportunity, or you can spend 10 minutes doing some research and figuring out who might be the warmest opportunity or person to connect to that, right? There's ways to go about things. So I think from an organizational standpoint, we look at it like, take the time to be, to do your research, to be prepared, to show up um, and make sure that you earned the opportunity to win the business versus just showing up, which is yeah. sometimes easier to do. I mean, it's always easier, seems easier to take the shortcut, but you're right, being thorough and, and, and showing up prepared, there's no substitute for that. It sounds easier until they ask you a question and you're like, I don't even know what this company does. Yeah. I don't, and then you feel silly for an hour and a half in front of that person in person. Like I would rather do the research, find a computer to be prepared to not sound silly. So do you do some training around that? How do you, how do you instill that into your new hires? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like the true answer is that we're really good at using our AI and our tools that we have. There may be a little bit big brothery, but I think that there's a mentor that we have within our organization that always says that our network is equal to our net worth or sorry, our net worth is equal to our network. And it's true. We know so many people within the 400 people that work at Tangram that there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to have a warm introduction to people that are chasing business in our markets. Whether that's our partners, whether those are GCs or those are like, you know, architecture and design firms that we work with, there's got to be somebody that can make a warm introduction rather than you just like going and knocking on someone's door. Nobody likes that. Yeah. And so I think just be smart, use the tools that we have and use the resources that we have and be thoughtful. And, it, you know, we all get cold calls every day. What do you do with most of them? Right. Ignore. Yeah. You right. can tell what the difference is. So like, do you want to be the one that gets ignored or how do you go about doing it a little bit differently? And it's generally because someone sent you an email that said, you know, Chris, you should meet Amber. And now That's actually doing. how this happened. Right. Someone sent an email and said. <laughs> right. So there's. No, um, so, you know, that you touch on a topic that I do like to talk about because there's or, there's always learning. So what do you all do at Tangram to try to you know, build and maintain these important relationships with customers, with your partners, with your stakeholders. I mean, they're all so important. So what are some of the things that y'all can maybe talk about and try to put into practice to make sure you're building and maintaining those relationships? Yeah, good. I mean, I think there's kind of, there's a million different ways, but I think there's three kind of pillars if you were to boil it down. One, it's the social touch, right? Let's have a drink. Let's go to dinner. Let's just get to know each other as people because truthfully, everybody wants to hang out and do business with people that they know, right? People they know and they like. That they like. And then ultimately they've learned to trust, right? Exactly right. So, but the flip of that, and it's a double-edged sword, is that nobody likes to do business with someone that goes out and has a bunch of drinks and doesn't wake up the next day. Like no <laughs> one wants to do business with the party animal either, right? So right. we say that when you're doing your social touches and you're entertaining and you're getting to know someone as a human being, then you also need to follow that up with you know, research, information, like what are you doing to add value to what they're doing in their life or their job? And so for us, the ability to bring what other organizations are doing to the table for other companies that are in like situations is a huge benefit for us. So maybe you're a, I don't know, a science, or I don't know, let me think of something good. Maybe you're in the industry, entertaining industry, 
and you are trying to figure out what to do with your new space. Well, we've got five other companies that are in the same industry. So we'll pull together a round table and you guys can talk amongst yourselves about how you, mm. what you're doing to bring people back or what you're doing that's a little bit different. So I think it's utilizing our resources. It also helps to be able to prove that we've got some customers in that market or that industry right? That vertical. And we know what we're doing in that vertical. Let's bring those people together. So it's, again, it's utilizing our network to really help teach each other. And in doing that, you become a trusted advisor. I think that's it. And consistency, right? Just showing up over and over again. And not when there's work. Like just to say happy birthday, or I thought about you, how's your Tuesday going? Yeah. Being genuine. The thing that we all want, Right. That they say no one checks in on the strong people. Like sometimes it's nice to just get a message that says, hope you have a great day. So, I mean, I think that's the simplest way of just being human and authentic, but it is so underplayed in this world. Sad, but true. So let's go back to maybe the office space. Yeah. I think there's obviously so much that's been discussed from the, you know, the work remote hybrid. Now you start seeing companies are mandating back in the office. So maybe you can talk some about. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in, you know, in office space design concept, et cetera, that companies are asking for or coming to you with to try to create that environment, as you said earlier, that will make it compelling for someone to leave home to be back in the office? Yeah. I mean, I would say, number one, there there's a lot less private offices that there used to be. If there are private offices, they're on the interior core of the building so that the light can be exposing to all of the stations and the other employees throughout the office space. We're seeing a lot of greenery being added to spaces and lots of areas that should make you feel like you have choice around where you work. So lots, a lot of maybe two employees to one desk type of environments, less dedicated desks so that you can walk in and say, you know, today I want to work over in this corner in this little nook, or today I want to work at this desk. Those are the kinds of things that we're seeing a lot of. I think every single area has so much technology that we might have also started forgetting about the analog, just whiteboard, right? The ability to just pick up a marker and just brainstorm versus having to create a flow chart on a PowerPoint, right? So one doesn't cancel cancel out the other. The need for both is still there. And so I think when you're talking about these kinds of different spaces, when you get to the office, it's like, are there team breakout rooms that maybe I have whiteboards and monitors and desks that move around and I can set it up for my team for the week and then set it up for another team the next week. So just lots of things that are mobile and allow for the most amount of spaces to work harder than just with one purpose. Okay. Yeah. So just kind of the, the flexibility massive right now flexibility and technology that's on casters so it's also mobile right so everything is moving and i think part of that is realizing that like that when COVID hit and everything was fixed it was like how are we going to rearrange well when things then automatically went to casters and it was like we could move around wherever so that you really can't allow yourself to set up for the day the best that works for your goal for the day at work I like that. So I'm going to you know, kind of change subjects a little bit. Would Let's... you like that though? Like, would you like if you didn't have to go into your office? Like, w- would you feel comfortable working out into the open floor plan? Because you just said you guys all go into your private offices when you get there, and but you like having the doors open. If yep. you found yourself in an open environment, do you think it would change the way that you work? I don't know. It's a great thing. I like, well, I'll say this one, I like coming into the office. I like the flexibility of, you know, 
working remote when it makes sense or when I can. And like to your point, there are some days when at least given what I do, I get lots of interruptions throughout the day. And, and, yes. if, and if I need to not be interrupted, you know, I may not come to the office to, so I can focus for four or five hours or or whatnot. Um, Isn't that interesting? And and it's so funny because I don't know that I would have said that five years ago. Like if I have a focus day, I'm going to stay home. Yeah. And also to think about that, like what it works for you might not work for the 30 year old mom, right? No. Like they need five hours to focus. They can't do that at home. They're going straight to the office, right? Well, and, I, and I have, we have some young mothers here that will tell you they come to the office and please don't make me go home to get work done. The other thing that I'll say as an aside, that it is part of the younger generation, which unfortunately, I guess I'm not, but earbuds while they work listening, not just to music, but they'll be listening to crime podcasts or things. And I'm like, how are you doing that and still focusing on what you're doing? I, you know, I don't know. That wild. Yeah. So I think that's funny. We learned that uh, while we were all in the same storm, we were all in very different boats right? What your boat was and the size of your boat at home was very different than other people's with kids and toddlers and kindergarten. And yeah, I got to the office and was like, oh, I want to drink hot coffee here in silence. This is heaven. But yeah, the micro or the multitasking and getting a lot of stuff done, it's interesting. When we used to see the head, the earbuds that were more like, hey, this is my cue to say that I'm doing heads down quiet work. So don't interrupt me. Now we've got some furniture pieces that allow for you to like kind of pull out and it's a storage piece, but it basically when it's out, it's the equivalent of earbuds in like, don't I'm working. I'm in heads down mode right now for those of us that don't have the the private office ability to shut the door. But yeah. I think, you know, too, you were asking about our space. It, it's hard because when we're, I mean, not that, I mean, everyone up here is kind of in a cone of confidentiality with our client's business, but to be right. in a, you know, in a private closed space to be able to have a conversation without a bunch of other people, in open space is, you know, kind of what works in our environment and in our industry. Certainly related to law. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and I, you know, I would work remote even before COVID hit, you know, because it's just the nature of, of what I do and, and the, the demands. But, you know, I, I do believe that flexibility is a good thing. We also think we work in what we do and it may be true for you when we can collaborate together. And like you said, get on a whiteboard and actually brainstorm something together. You just can't do that on video. And, and the other thing that I know you, you're aware of that there's lots of been written, you lose that social. There's a social piece that happens kind of before or after in between meetings that yeah. when you're on scheduled Zoom and you're going to the next and next, you lose. And that's to me really where culture gets built. Is it 100%. The- yes. It's the, how was your weekend, which sometimes is grading because it's small talk, but then it's like, then learning that they like X and oh, me too. And right. And it, it creates a whole nother conversation, which then leads to brainstorming and right. I mean, like the Googles of the world created a 15 minute line on purpose in their cafeteria so that people from different buildings across the campus would pro- cross pollinate intentionally while they waited for their food. It's exactly the same idea. It's like, how do I get these people to stop and talk to other people within the office if they're never here? How do they create a relationship? There is no culture created on a web camera. Right. There's not. Just a bunch of people Uh, looking at themselves in the camera. That's right. You're distracted by backgrounds and or cats. Dogs barking. Yes. yes. I I was literally conducting an interview uh, earlier this week via video and the person that was interviewing for the position had a dog barking. And finally, it was like, it has to be everyone else is on mute, right? 
And, but they didn't finally, like 20 minutes in, they finally said, you know, I'm sorry, my dog. But I was like, oh my gosh. I would be so mortified. I had a very awkward one early on where there was a naked moment. We'll leave it at that. And oh my so, God. yeah, it's been a wild ride, these Zoom backgrounds. And so anyway, it, blurring is best if nothing else is the lesson. Yes. So let me talk a little bit of, about you. And what the question is kind of you as a leader, how would you describe your leadership style? Let's say this as of t- you know, today, but how has that evolved? Because I know, you know where you are today is probably not where you were five plus years ago because we all evolve as we go. Yeah. I try to be super authentic. I try to be the boss I always wanted to be, um, which I think if you do it like that, then it kind of keeps you human. I never try to ask anyone to do something that I wouldn't be willing to stay and do with them. And I think that comes with the history of starting in this business and working my way through it so that there's not really any job here that I don't know how to help with. But I think the ability to know that I'm not just kind of hollering down from the mountaintop, I'm willing to like roll up my sleeves and do it with you. Gosh, how have I changed? I think that before I would have had things I would have wanted to say, and I would have thought long and hard about how to say them. And I think over the years, I've learned that rapid, radical honesty is the play. So rather than spending a week and a half trying to come up with the exact way that I might say something that wouldn't offend someone and then dredge it all back up again, I'd rather just address it, talk about it. Hey, this didn't feel right. A better way to do that might've been this had this, you know, effect. And you might not have realized that when you were doing it, here's a different way. I think if you can address those things instantaneously, even though it might be a little raw in the moment, I think that for me, that has really allowed for there to be a lot of growth and honesty in my relationships for people that work with me. I like that that. that statement right there, people that work with me, that's the other piece, the people that work with me. I think something happens when you get into a certain leadership place where you're like the people that work for me, and I will never be that leader. The people that work with me. It's a team mentality. A hundred percent. I think that's a very, it may sound subtle to some, but I think it's a very big distinction and and how your mindset is. If you, because if you approach it with the we versus the I, and actually in a genuine way, that will, your, the people you work with will feel that and sense that. And I think the way they respond to you is exponentially better. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, I had a conversation with a colleague recently that said, you know, you might be too close to some of the people on your team. And it was funny because in the same way that I'll take the I'll give the radical instant criticism, you have to be able to receive it as well. And I think I took it the other way. I swung the pendulum so hard and I cut all of these really strong relationships that I had made in a business way and kind of turned them into friends and started to try to draw this line. And it took me about six months to realize that I was very sad without those people in my world. And I'd wanted to open back up again and be the person that I had been before. So back to the leadership piece, I think it's important for me to say that while I'm also willing to receive feedback, I'm also not willing to accept it all as fact. Good. Some of it is stuff that you have to be able to process through and realize what you want to keep and what you want to discard. And then what you want to implement, right? And so for me, I tried it and it didn't work. And it was like, nope, I'm going to go back to this other way. And I think that is what growth is, is the willingness to change and change back. Sure. And I think being self-aware, right? Absolutely. I think that's there's that can apply in so many ways, I think, to, to the willingness to try something different, 
the willingness to be honest about it, whether it's working or not. And it's okay. And, and as an example, it's okay. Well, that decision ended up not being right. So let's go back. For me, so, right? It yeah, didn't yeah. work for me. And that's good that it works for others. I think I appreciate that boundary for other people. It's that kind of work-life balance is a funny, it's a funny conversation for me. I think that it's a joke, frankly. Like some days we spend 90% of our effort and energy in the office and we only have 10% left at home. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like I can give 50 feet and you know it's not an issue. Some days I have got to deal with my familial obligations and it's going to maybe only be a 25 day for the work life and the business life is going to get the rest of it. And I think that when you work yourself into an organization that you're happy and comfortable with, that it allows for me as a leader to have that type of balance, but it also allows for me to provide and allow that type of balance to the people that work with us. Yes. But well, we can do a whole episode on work, the the myth of work-life balance. You know, it's to me, the word balance is probably the, the worst word you could use for that. I think it's work, work-life integration. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's so, a way. You know, there's no, you know, and, and that, it all changes depending on your stage of life as well. We used to have work-life balance in our core values. We changed that because what we realized is that's not really a corporate culture. It's more of a personal value or culture, right? Because it depends on life. If you're in your late 20s versus your late 40s, your world is different and the way you balance things is going to be very different greatly different. It's so ironic that you say that we have, we used to have some meetings with new hires where we would tell them, you know, this is kind of what's been working for their lives. Some of the upper leadership and management and early on those 20 somethings were hearing, if you just make all of your work friends, your own friends, then you'll be fine, which they heard lose your friends. Cause we're going to take over your life. Right. Uh, and it's like, right. that's not what we're saying. What we actually mean is that you'll, you will find a balance there where you do genuinely enjoy hanging out with people that you work with or people that you do business with, and you will find a balance in that. And that's a little bit of the integration, but also that you'll be able to give and take where and when you need throughout the day and week. So yeah, it's a, the word balance, I just think in general is hilarious. It's a yeah. funny word, but I do think it's great that we all keep trying. Well, that's the point, right? Is, is you said every day is a little different. You find the way to make it work and integrate both. And so, yeah, some days are 90 work, 10 family. Some are 90 family, 10 work and everything in between. Yeah. The, it's, it's funny. Brene Brown talks about like in marriage, it's not 50, 50. Like she walks in at home and is like, I got 70 today. And he's like, cool. I got your other 30. And, it, uh-huh. and it's like that. And I feel like that very much in the office. And I think if if we could all just be honest and stop calling these workplaces families, right? Like this is not our family. These are our, the company that we work for. And we enjoy very much the people that we work with, but we all have families at home. And, you know, it's important that they feel as much love as the people that we enjoy working with on a regular basis. And, you know, it's going to wave and it's going to ebb and flow. But I think that's part of what life is. That's so true. Okay. This has been really great conversation. I love hearing what y'all are doing to help companies, you know, move forward, be innovative in their space. I want to turn now the last minute or so, just some fun stuff to know about you. So tell us what was your first job? I ditched school at 14 to go get lunch at Subway and I left with a job. So wait, instead of ordering a sandwich, you you got behind the counter? 
I ate my sandwich and then the on-car suit offered me a job and I left at 14 as a Subway sandwich artist. My mom was not very pleased that she had to drive me to and from the Subway on multiple times a week, but it was a great first job. I loved it. Okay. Did you stay with school? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. yes, yes. No, it was just after school job. I got you. I got you. All right. So you're new to Texas, but I ask all my guests, do you prefer Tex-Mex or barbecue? Oh my gosh. I can't even say Tex-Mex. Like, I feel like I need there to be Mexican food here. So we're just going to default to barbecue for sure. Absolutely. So you have not adjusted to Tex-Mex. You know what? I'm 40 years a Californian and I don't know that I ever will. I was laughing because they were doing the best tacos in Texas. Uh, little blurb the other day on the news. And I was like, they're in the wrong state for the best taco competition. This is not where they live, but I'm sorry. I do love your guys' barbecue. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. We'll forgive you. We we will agree to disagree on that. Okay. All right. right. You have bomb queso though. I'll give you that. Okay. We'll meet in the middle. Y'all don't have queso in California? Not like you guys do. You have it at like every Mexican restaurant. It's not a thing there really. Oh, sure. I mean, I think the first real food both of my daughters had like at, at a week old was queso. We start them early. Yeah. So, okay. If you could take a 30 day sabbatical, what would you, where would you go? What would you do? Oh, that's an excellent question. I feel like I would probably go just get an Airbnb in France and just spend a couple of weeks just living life there, cruising around on the bike, traveling with my family, working, painting, just being, I think we spend so much time following a calendar I would love to just kind of float and see what happens when we're creative without a schedule. That's where I come from. And we don't do enough of it. Yeah. Sadly, you're right. Amber, this has been awesome. It's been a pleasure, you know, hearing your story, Tangram's story. Thank you for all the insights you've provided and just wish all the best of luck as you grow your business here in Texas. Thank you so much, Chris. We appreciate it. All right. Take care. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.